0: Over the last few Sundays, you'll be conscious that we have been steadily making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. This morning, we are turning to Luke, and we are turning to Luke chapter 2 to continue our reading of Luke's Gospel from verses 8 through verse 20. So, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And we're coming to Luke this morning as we focus on the shepherds and the angels, Most of you are conscious that over the last few weeks, as we have worked our way through Matthew, as I said moments ago, we began with a list of names. And I mentioned back then that it was a list of names of those who, at least at first glance, appear to be seemingly insignificant, instantly forgettable. And we took our time working our way through that list and saying, Although they are seemingly insignificant, God was faithfully at work generation after generation, and that's why Matthew included it in his gospel. And then, of course, on our second Sunday in Advent, we focused on Mary and Joseph, and last Sunday we focused on the three wise men. And so today, we are once again focusing on people, real people living real lives, and we're focusing, as I mentioned, on the angels. And so, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His holy Word. Over the next few days, most of us will, I imagine, sit down with those we love, parents, grandparents, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, and will enjoy Christmas dinner together. And of course, we will talk about family and friends who are no longer with us, or we may talk about memorable Christmas events of the past. And we will reminisce and do so with laughter and joy, recollecting all of the fun of bygone years. And this morning, some of us, excuse me, in the course of today, some of us will do exactly that. And we will remember visiting grandparents and remembering Christmas meals of how the table was laid out, the side plates and the glasses were in the right place, the silverware, was there. Then, of course, the food would be laid on the table, and we would hold hands together, and granddad would pray. And if you were eight or nine years old, his prayer seemed to last forever and ever and ever, and you were longing for the amen. And, of course, you'd be holding hands, and you would look up and peek with one eye to see if anyone else wasn't paying attention either, because you were hungry Mom wouldn't allow you to eat before Christmas dinner unless you ruined your appetite. And you knew that what was on the table was about to be served and you couldn't wait. Ham and turkey and vegetables and then, of course, desserts. And if you were really lucky, you might even get two desserts, the highlight of any Christmas meal. And, of course, it was thrilling and what a wonderful memory to have. And to some extent... I'm painting that picture intentionally as we make our way into Luke chapter 2 this morning, and I'm doing it for this reason, that Luke carefully, intentionally lays out his opening chapters almost like a Christmas meal. There is one event after another that takes place, and he carefully sets the table for us. He introduces us to events and people. And as you go through what's called Luke's infancy narrative, he intentionally lays them out in a manner that whets our appetite and creates within us a desire to know what pains Luke has taken to prepare this feast. Luke's gospel consists of the living facts which are common to each of the gospels. But it has been carefully prepared, supplemented with extra courses attractively served, and we owe it more than a perfunctory nibble, so wrote David Gooding, a very just an outstanding a very fine uh, New Testament scholar, and he was an expert in Luke's gospel in fact, and in the book of Acts both of books Luke wrote, as you know. And if you're familiar enough with Luke at all, you know that he simply doesn't give us the facts of the gospel. He introduces us to people, people who are impacted by the love of God, people whose lives are transformed and changed forever because they have come into contact with him. And the interesting dynamic for Luke is this, Luke writes, and most of us are unaware of this, the first Christmas carols to be sung anywhere. In fact, he writes four of them. The first appears in Luke chapter 1. Down through the centuries, the church has named it the Magnificat. It's Mary's response to the appearing of the angel Gabriel and telling her that she will have the Christ child, and she goes to visit Elizabeth, and out comes this wonderful prayer that became a hymn. And then Luke introduces additional song in the Benedictus, and then the glory in excelsis, which we read moments ago, the angel singing, and then the nunc dimittis coming from the ancient individual Simeon. And so Luke is not simply a story of facts, but it's a story of real people responding in real time all that God was doing. And in fact, not only does He show us two or three people, He shows us so much more than that. He introduces us to Elizabeth and Zechariah, not found in the other Gospels, to Gabriel and Mary and Elizabeth. We read the birth of John the Baptist, the shepherds, the angels, Simeon and Anna. Look, almost it's like He sprinkles across the celestial sky, little stars that shine brightly pointing towards the coming of Christ and if matthew focuses on nativity which which is where we've been in the last few weeks and mark focuses on prophecy by almost immediately in his opening words quotes from the old testament book of isaiah and then john focuses on eternity by writing in the beginning God and he looked back to time gone by, eternity in the past, Luke focuses on history. And we read it earlier. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke is Eager for us as readers to fully understand that Luke is tying this down to a certain time and a certain place with certain people. He's not writing mythology. He's not writing legend. Luke doesn't begin once upon a time in the 15th, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. He doesn't do that. He is saying, to his contemporary audience, and us today, real people, in real time, in real places. And so Luke is the historian of the New Testament. In fact, he goes a step further in chapter 3, which we didn't touch on this morning, and he writes, in the 15th year of the reigning of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod tetriarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius tetriarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. And once again, he's tying it down to contemporary events, real people. And what Luke is telling us is this, we don't always have to go back in time to see God at work, but He is at work today. Once again, the life of real people living real lives in real places. And so Luke goes to great pains to set the table for us so that when we come to his gospel, we are nourishing our heart and mind and soul of, in the richest of spiritual food. And all of that he does as he introduces to us that first Christmas night when the angels appear to the shepherds. He gives us a timeline. And more than that, Luke is also reminding us that Quirinius was governor, a census was taken. Excuse me, I'm going too far ahead of myself here. Here. And he lays out for us again and again who was ruling in terms of the Roman Empire, who was ruling across ancient Israel, who was ruling in terms of the various priests at the time. But what he's also telling us is this. When Caesar Augustus, who was, incidentally, one of the most important emperors in the history of the Roman Empire, He was originally named Octavian and eventually declared as the first Roman emperor. He reigned from 30 BC to AD 14 and began a number of strategic building projects, initiated a massive system of centralized government, regulated commerce and trade, He strengthened the military for his entire reign. The empire was at peace, which was remarkable back then. He did a great deal to advance Roman culture across the entire empire. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I think I've got what you're saying. I think I got the part about God at work in real time, in real lives, in real places. I got that. Thank you also for the history lesson on Caesar Augustus. I got that. But Richard, what on earth has any of that to do with us this morning on this Christmas Eve? Well, let me try and explain, if I may. What is going on here is this, that when Caesar Augustus centralized government, that he instilled Roman law throughout the empire, when he increased import and export and trade, when he put bureaucracy in place, unknown to him, God was at work at the heart of the empire, preparing for the birth of Christ, preparing roads in order that the gospel might be communicated, preparing a period of pre-peace where the gospel could flourish. And Quirinius, when he was governor and sought to bring about taxation, he had no earthly idea that way, 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 centuries before in the book of Micah, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Here was God in His infinite wisdom and grace, orchestrating, engineering, bringing to pass His purpose and will. And that's why Luke is saying, please remember that all that was going on in the empire, all that was going on regionally, and all that was happening locally was all part and parcel of God's great plan to bring to birth a Messiah. And as we go over this chapter, what do we discover? we discover that omnipotence has servants everywhere. Sometimes they're conscious of it. Sometimes they're utterly, utterly unaware of it. Omnipotence has servants everywhere. Now, having painted the larger picture, think of Mary and Joseph who over the last nine months had gone through the crisis of Mary discovering that she's expecting. And Joseph, and we touched on this two weeks ago, wrestling with all of the possibilities and what was going on and why would God do this to him. And now as they move towards the birth of Christ and He is about to come, Mary and Joseph discover that they must travel four days north of Nazareth or excuse me heading south just outside Jerusalem about seven miles outside Jerusalem to the town where Joseph was born to register for the purposes of taxation and can you imagine that conversation between Mary and Joseph when Joseph comes in and says honey we need to go to Bethlehem to register you imagine the first question in Mary's mind this is her firstborn; never had a child before anxious, concerned, prayerful, frightened, of course. And Joseph is thinking, how on earth will I be able to look after her? Who will deliver the baby? Where will we stay? How are we going to manage this? Is there any possibility we can put this off till after the baby is born? No. We have to go. A four-day journey, some 80 miles walking sometimes on a donkey 20 miles a day. That's a lot for anyone, even today. Back then, the challenge must have been incredible. Can you imagine Mary settling down that night with Joseph praying before they sleep? Father, what are you doing? What on earth is going on here? This is not how we envisaged having the Christ child how could you possibly want the Savior of the world to be born under these circumstances? Lord, what on earth are you doing? This is falling apart. We thought you had all of this organized and in place. You can sense the urgency and the immediacy of their needs or their concerns. Joseph and Mary would learn what all previous generations learned, and what all subsequent generations learned. That we don't always have to have it all worked out. Our job is to trust that he has it worked out already. And he had, as we said moments ago, for centuries he had been orchestrating and engineering the birth of Christ to take place in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. It was to fulfill the ancient prophecies. And then Luke very quickly moves us away from Mary and Joseph, and he moves us to the shepherds and the angels. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can you think of too many places in Scripture where someone comes into contact with the living God and are terrified? There are a number of places, in fact, what happens, I think, is this, that they are absolutely overwhelmed that God in all of His wonder and majesty and glory and power and dominion would reveal Himself to them, and it is so overwhelming. They are unnerved and unsettled and don't know what to do. Please remember, the passage is clear. This wasn't simply one or two angels startling enough, arresting enough that that would be, but there were countless angels, and the glory of God shone around them. Talk about being unnerved, unsettled, that's exactly what they experienced. And no wonder the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, a baby will be born and wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, and the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Think of the enormity and the immensity of that. Think of what the angels were going through, and then come with me over here and stand in the shadows and watch history itself holding its breath gasping in wonder and awe that the sacred would enter the secular. The infinite became finite. Majesty was about to enter a manger, and nothing in history could prepare anyone for what is unfolding here. And he who was, and we heard it, Sandy's description this morning as she read the prayer relating to this Christmas Eve that He who is eternal, immutable, infinite, holy, majestic, unchanging in power and justice and goodness and love entered into our world and restricted and limited himself to time and space, became one of us in order that we might become like him. That's the mystery of the incarnation. That's, once again, if we listen quietly, we can hear those ancient words, omnipotence has servants everywhere we see it again right there. The hymn writer encapsulates it so well that in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. Please understand, for the shepherds and the angels. This was not something captured on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. They weren't experiencing it secondhand. They were there, real people living real lives in a real place at a set time. Here was God in all of his wonder and all of his glory. I cannot help but wonder our prayer this Christmas Eve is, Father, allow me during these days of Christmas to slow down long enough to grasp the immensity of all that You are doing. Give to me a glimpse of the wonder and glory of this Christmas season. Help me, to be renewed and refreshed and fed by the miracle of the Incarnation. Help me to grasp again, omnipotence does indeed have servants everywhere. Rest in the joy and the wonder of the words from Luke. Today, town of David Savior has been born, and He is Christ the Lord. Trust and pray that will be your experience this Christmas Eve, tomorrow, over these days together, and you in turn, your only response can be glory to God in the highest. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this remarkable passage of Scripture. Help us please not to go through these days of Christmas experiencing Christmas in some second-hand way, for we know that you become real in the Christmas story. You know that you become real when you touch us, heart and mind and soul, when we surrender and submit ourselves to you, and we ask that above all things, we would experience You afresh this Christmas. Father, we thank You for all that we will enjoy over these next few days. But above all things, help us to rest in and enjoy Your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.